You're listening to Power Athlete Radio, a podcast dedicated to empowering your performance every damn day. Join former NFL pro and Power Athlete founder John Wellborn as he dissects the greatest minds in strength, conditioning, and more. Joining him is everyone's favorite coach and hair model, Chris, a.k.a. Tex McQuilkin, Power Athlete's Director of Performance. So whether your goal is to be the hammer, destroy mediocrity, or simply move the dirt, you've come to the right place. Now with the warm-up done, let the gains begin. Hey, Power Athlete Nation. Welcome to another episode of the Premier Podcast and Strength and Conditioning Power Athlete Radio, where we discuss all things performance, whether it's getting fast, getting strong, getting jacked, uh, increasing your capacity to suffer, work hard, or more importantly, just get stronger and have greater neuroplasticity. Power Athlete Radio is going to cover it. So what we do on occasion is we reach into this grab bag from the Power Athlete Hotline, and we pull out questions and we discuss them here on Power Athlete Radio for this episode. For today, we're going to reach into the uh, archives from Power Athlete Hotline. And if you're interested in leaving us a question, you can always reach out at 929-464-464-0-929-ing-ing-0. Sweet. Let's do it. So through the WhatsApp, you can text us these questions and that's what we're pulling it from. So WhatsApp app, this is where it's at. I like it. Well, you know why? It's international. I know. So when we, we are had a worldwide strength and conditioning. <laughs> we are global, global strength and conditioning. Somewhere yes. on this spinning pale blue dot. Like a spinning coin, this flat earth out there in the universe. All right. Ready, John? I'm ready. Lay it on me. Here we go. Best methods for or techniques for muscle gain while simultaneously losing fat. Not necessarily bulking. But finding that balance to go from fat ass to lean and ripped. So you're talking effectively the holy grail of performance training. Improving body composition by losing fat and gaining muscle simultaneously. It's a big one to to cover. Fortunately, we have experience with this. And yes, it is possible. Before we go down that rabbit hole, are there any other erroneous, crazy questions lurking there that we might be able to do a quick little stomp on and then we can go on with our day yeah we had a misinterpretation of something that was said on the podcast that we need to quickly address yo heard on a previous podcast y'all are anti-creatine why bodybuilding power building communities love it let me know if i should stop taking it he must be confusing us with another podcast because, as I've stated on this podcast hundreds of times, I am the, large, the longest continuous creatine user on the planet. I was given creatine in 1992 and have taken some form of creatine every single day for the last 30 plus years. So uh, I, that is absolutely not a true statement. And the fact that he even misinterpreted makes me think, how much other stuff are people misinterpreting if something this basic could be misinterpreted? So go back and listen to any of the Power Athlete radios. And I think we even have specific podcasts on creatine where we talk about the benefits of creatine, not only for increasing size, muscle, increasing ATP, improving brain health, fighting off CTE and neurological uh, issues. Um, and you've heard me state on this podcast numerous times that I believe that everything that is composed of bone that has some form of internal vertebra should be taking creatine. So, so I still, much so that you I feed get, it to your dogs. I give it to my dogs. 
And I believe that's why they've lived as long as they have. So um, I don't know where that dude got that. He must be reaching out. He must be listening to somebody else's podcast and somehow mistaking our podcast for their podcast. So he needs to reach out to Mind Pump Radio or Nick Bear or one of those other guys that are shitting on creatine. Not us. Maybe he just needs a friend. Maybe Every just, once in a while. Maybe he's just trolling us. Maybe. I mean, dick kicks. That's, that's kind like, of our thing. Hey, guys, I heard you are a big fan of low-protein diets. I heard you like doing oh lightweights for this sets of 100. is what's known, John, as gaslighting. Uh, he's trying to set you off. Gaslighting. Hmm. I like it. Maybe he is. Yes. Well, asked and answered. Take the creatines. And back to our question here. The holy grail of gaining muscle while simultaneously losing fat. So what are we talking here? Losing fat or gaining muscle, John? Well, it can actually happen both if both? you do it right. So we'll, so <laughs> get you a girl that can do both. So uh, let's start with the basics, right? Like uh, if you want to lose fat, you need to put your body in some form of caloric deficit. This deficit forces your body to use pre-existing fat stores for energy, for fuel to allow you to keep going. So to gain muscle, your body needs to be in a caloric surplus and that surplus provides the energy that your body requires to get bigger, stronger, repair muscles, and get jacked. So I know those two things feel juxtaposed. One's in caloric deficit, one's in caloric surplus. Now, here's where things get really interesting. And there's a ton of research that I was able to pull up uh, today and even yesterday that talks about situations where they've taken studies to try to you know, put kids in caloric or, or subjects into caloric restriction. And the one that I liked the most was they put kids in caloric restriction while maintaining a high level of protein. And the results were interesting in that the kids or the, uh, I keep saying kids, but the studies, cause I think it was like 17 to 24 year old men. So they're rel uh, relatively young, ended up losing fat, but actually gaining muscle in the interim. Now there were a few elements of that that you have to address. One, you have to create a stimulus to gain muscle, which uh -huh. involves moving and lifting some heavy things on an intelligent periodized strength program that is pushing you a little bit farther each day than it did before. Now, I think there's also a misconception, and we know this, uh, I know this from training with bodybuilders, the program never changed. Like they, the program that allowed them to put on muscle and to get jacked in the off season was the same program that they followed while they were in their cut. So once you find a certain approach of training that allows you to flourish, you don't change. All they did was manipulate calories. So with caloric manipulation, we can go even further and speak to macros. So our protein, that's going to be the key component yes. of building the muscles. So let's focus on that. Where should I begin if I, my aim is to lean out and gain muscle while focusing on protein and then working around that? So you have to sustain a caloric deficit while eating a high amount of protein. Minimum one gram of protein per pound of body weight. We've seen athletes go as high as a gram and a half of protein per pound of body weight. I've never seen any performance gain outside of eating about a gram and a half. I know we had uh, John Anderson, you know, deep water training on, and he was eating, I think, like three grams of protein per pound of body weight. Um, that ends up, I think, being a little more extreme. Uh, I think there's some factors in there that allow him to metabolize more protein than a human or gorilla. Uh, but for most of our athletes, somewhere between a gram to about a gram and a half. I know if you look at the research, they say 0.8, but make it simple. One gram of protein per pound of body weight, focusing on high quality, nutrient dense, 
animal-based proteins. So don't tell me you're eating 600 grams of pea protein just because it's not as nutrient-dense, and I hate to say it, that the protein that is in a pound of steak is not the same protein that's in a pound of broccoli. Well, not all proteins are created equal. That's very true. That's an important note to have. So now, then- now here's, the, here's the key factor. Uh, they have a ton of these different calculators online and you hear people that are like, oh, if you are eating maintenance and your body weight's the same and you subtract 500 calories, you'll be in a caloric deficit. How do you know if you're in a deficit? I, f- I don't know. I don't have the energy. You, f- <laughs> you have I feel to, hungry. You have to weigh yourself. If you pull out calories and you go your way, weigh yourself and your scale is not low, and I don't mean you don't have to do it every single day, but every three days, twice a week makes sense. If you're eating what you think is in a caloric deficit and the scale weight is not changing, you're not in caloric deficit. So all the calculators in the world, I know the internet, if you go on, talk about uh, a pound is equal to 3,500 calories. And I know um, based upon some research in my own, just having worked with clients for many, many years, a pound is not a pound. Calories are not equated the same. So for some people, they might be losing weight at subtracting 3,000 calories. Other people might be, it might take 4,000. So it really comes down to you monitoring, weighing and measuring your calories, and then working yourself into a caloric restriction based upon keeping protein really high. So there's two other macronutrients that you have to manipulate. You either got to pull fat or you got to pull carb or you pour a little, little bit of both. And how do we know when to pull which? It's really based upon taste. Uh, I know for me, um, I tend to do better on kind of a balanced pull of both. Um, I know some people do better keeping carbs high, dumping the protein, and then, and then you're eating like chicken and egg whites. Uh, for me, I tend to like red meat more than chicken, but also chicken for me is a safe. So if I eat red meat, like let's say I have ground beef, which is naturally going to be a little higher in fat, then I know that I'm going to have to have a chicken or a fish meal later in the day to make up and have those many calories. I tried to pull all the carbs and just keep the, the fat a little bit higher in the protein. And I don't think that it helped me as well. And I've also pulled all the fat and done a higher carb. And I think that works fairly well, but only after you hit a certain amount of body fat. So when I was under 10%, 7-8%, all of a sudden dumping the fat and upping the carb ended up really accelerating it. But it had to be, for me, under 10% to really feel that. So for me, it's kind of a balance of carbs and fat. And for for fats, is there any check-in like sleep? libido, anything that we would have to adjust fats for, I mean, increase them? Because most uh, people want to take them out. Fats first, right? Yeah. That's what we grew up on. Nah, I mean, you got to have, you got to, and I hate the term healthy fats, but uh, it's really saturated fat and monounsaturated fat. You got to include those. So for me, I don't supplement with saturated fat. I usually get that with Supplementing the fat. That sounds awesome. Yeah. I mean, you're eating spoonfuls of coconut uh, oil, uh, you know, tallow, lard, butter, whatever you Olive want. Olive oil, 10 second pour. So for me, uh, I tend to keep my saturated fat in the food that I'm eating. And if I'm going to add fat to a meal, it's going to be monounsaturated fat with olive oil. Yeah. The, I, I know I've told you this before, but essentially when I was working at a high school, it was a fancy private school in the DC area and they had kids that were living on campus. Mm-hmm. So then they asked me, like, we need extra calories. I said, olive oil, solid go-to. They said, how much? And I said, one ounce. One ounce is also measured in a shot glass. So they say, how do I measure an ounce? I instinctively, as a 27, 28-year-old male, said, easy, a shot glass. So then I had these kids going to the cafeteria ladies asking for 
shot glasses with giving zero context they were going to utilize it for measuring their extra fats. So I could see you get in trouble for this. I got in trouble for a few things, but uh, that was the big one. Yeah, I mean, the uh, to simplify it, lift some heavy weights consistently. You don't have to train six days a week. But I really like, um, you know, the two-day on, two-day off, hitting a, kind of an upper-lower protocol. Um, I've also been playing with this um, full-body protocol, which is uh, usually looks like some form of, like, hinge and some form of uh, press mixed with some form of, like, pull mixed with uh, some form of back and accessory. And then on that third day, really just hitting a ton of conditioning and then kind of breaking that up. So the big thing, I think, where people make a mistake is realizing that one of the key factors you're going to need to increase muscle. And now if you had told me this 10 plus years ago, I would have fucking laughed in your face until I did it myself. So when we were doing the 22 Jack Street, um, I was eating exactly the way that I said I was going to eat. And the problem was while I was getting leaner and was increasing muscle and was looking better, I wasn't losing as much scale weight as I needed. And one of the elements of that was we had to lose 10% of our initial scale weight for me, which was like 27 pounds I had to lose for 22 Jack Street. So all of a sudden we were doing tape, my body composition was improving and I was looking better. And what I effectively I was doing was I was losing fat and I was gaining muscle, which happens because muscle becomes much more expensive. So when you increase muscle and you're eating a ton of protein, the thermogenic effect goes to the roof. And as a byproduct, I was actually losing fat, but it was coming from other ways. One, I was doing some form of uh, cold plunges. So I had a, um, a deal where I was had a, a chest freezer set up and I was getting into that. I was also on the way home from the gym. I was stopping at this infrared sauna place just to try to burn some extra calories. But then I also needed to throw in a bunch of aerobic work to try to work myself into caloric deficit because I've always been a fan. I don't like pulling calories. I would just add more work. So... Uh, we would get up and we would train at six on the way home. I would stop at the infrared sauna place. I was doing a cold deal. And then at night I was either doing some form of weighted walk or I was going back to the gym and I was doing a bunch of aerobic work. Um, so the issue came down to as my aerobic capacity was going up and I was doing like, you know, five, six, seven days a week of somewhere between 30 and 45 minutes on either the assault bike or even the stair, the step mill, which became my favorite just because all of the jacked fitness fitness girls that were training at that gym metrics in orange county were all doing that step mill deal so i figure if those girls are in good shape i should do that too so callie and i were, were doing were they it. doing the long kickback the leg extension of, of course of course we call that the paul carter uh that's how you get the glutes activated um but what happened was one it was allowing me to to get into caloric restriction mm-hmm. and all of a sudden my body weight started moving and it started heading in the right direction all of a sudden we were in the gym testing rep maxes. So what we were doing was um, a kind of a, you know, power athlete really uses a lot of fixed rep maxes where we'll do like a five RM, seven RM, three RM, you know, whatever it is. This one was a little bit different. What we were doing was we were kind of following a little bit more, uh, a version of the power athlete stuff, kind of more similar to what you'd see with like five, three, five, three, one with Windler, where we were working up to uh, a, set weight where you're like okay hey i want to hit a 5rm except we weren't putting the throttle on it we were, we were fixing the weight and then going for max reps which is a different way of doing a linear progression it's, with linear progression you can add weight to the bar but right. you can also increase reps with the given weight would you say jack street experienced this with some shadow sets mm-hmm. yes it was very similar to the to the shadow sets so what i was doing was hey if i was going to hit a 5rm 
on, let's say, just say a deadlift. Then the next day I was, or the next week that came up, I was going to try to get six reps and seven reps and eight reps. And when I got to 10, we increased the weight back and started at five and went and pyramided, pyramided back up. And I ended up one day, I pulled like 635 for a set of eight from the floor. I have never pulled 635 for eight in my life. Um, even when I pulled 700, I never pulled 635 for eight. So what was fascinating for me, and I think uh, we did RDLs, it was like a set of 11 with 405, which was which was off the charts. But by we mean you. By me, yeah, I mean we, <laughs> yeah, because I speak in the fourth person. Uh, but I remember Callie and them, and then we were hitting uh, dumbbell bench. So then it was like hundreds, once I got to uh, like a hundreds for whatever it was, X amount of reps, and we got up to like 120s for 10. And then all of a sudden, then we went to 130s, and I ended up hitting like 130s for like 13s. So I was hitting rep PRs and now I had never necessarily trained for rep PRs while I was playing in the NFL but I was hitting weights for reps that I had never hit before in a caloric deficit mm -hmm. doing you know five six seven days of some aerobic work banging weights two days on one day off uh, we were doing a bunch of like um, BFR you know uh, a conditioning work so we were doing like you know uh, on those off days there was a uh, a little bit of aerobic work followed by some BFR work. And all of a sudden, you know, my body weight comes in. And at the time I was like two in the two nineties. Um, now I'm down into the two seventies sub 10% and hitting PRs like I had never hit before and was the leanest I ever was. So the only thing I can equate different, you know, obviously eating protein and a caloric restriction was beneficial, but building that big aerobic base allowed me to, create a more positive environment to not only hit PR. So I was able to lift heavier weights, which translated into more muscle. So at the end of this thing, I had lost 27 pounds or whatever it was of scale weight, but it effectively put on somewhere between like, I think I put on nine pounds of muscle because I was like 252 pounds of muscle. Whereas when we did the pre one, I was in the two forties. So, uh, I don't, you know, and that's, you know, people might, Oh, it's bullshit. But the research is very supportive that if you, are banging heavy weights in a caloric deficit while eating a high protein diet, focusing on creating a big aerobic base and being consistent and not just going in and being like, Hey, I'm going to pick the same weight, doing it over and over again, fighting for reps, battling it out, giving yourself every opportunity. You can create this environment where you effectively put on muscle while losing, uh, losing weight and fucking increasing. Now also this didn't happen in three weeks. It happened over the course of 22 weeks. Right. Where if anybody wants to do the math, looks like something like five and a half months. Yeah, it was a long time. Well, the, the key here, a key here is the lifting heavy. Yeah. And you were focused on performance and your performance was increasing. At what point, if I'm on this protocol, do I start to pay attention if my performance starts to decrease? So I may be following the scale but now my performance is decreasing. Well, one, you have to calculate for a slow loss. I think everybody, you know, uh, most people aren't really happy with, uh, you know, half a pound of weight loss a week. For me, it was a, uh, about a pound a week. And I got to, you know, within, I think I lost my 20 pounds over the course of that five weeks, which feels very slow, but I ended up gaining muscle. And then at the very end, I was over by like five pounds. So I pretty much... Um, I don't think I ate dinner the night before, didn't eat breakfast. And then I took a real hot Epsom, uh, Epsom salt bath and cut some water to try to just make the weight. And I did make the weight. Uh, but 
you know, that was just kind of just pulling some extra fluid off of me so I could hit the scale weight because that was what the, the buy-in was. You had to hit the scale weight to get to the bod pod. And then the person that was the leanest in the bod pod one was the way 22 Jack Street worked. So, um, but I did pull up some interesting research to support this. So they found that people that had like a, a slower reduction of 0.5% of body weight a week did much better than people that were like 1.4%. So slower. So if you give yourself a longer runway and a slower cut, you tend to do better. Um, but the research would divided those subjects into two groups. Both groups went on a low calorie diet, one with high levels of protein, uh, with higher levels of protein than the other. The higher protein group experienced muscle gains about 2.5 pounds, despite consuming insufficient energy, which was total calories. While the lower protein group did not add any muscle, the lower protein group at least had the consolation of not losing muscle because we do know that if you eat a high protein diet or a moderate protein diet and caloric restriction, protein always being the most important macronutrient, um, they, uh, so the lower protein group at least had the consolation of not losing a ton of muscle, which was predictable based upon the calories. So the uh, exercise, particularly lifting weights, provided a signal for the muscle to be retained even while in a big caloric deficit, as what was said in the research. Researchers were intrigued because the high-protein diet also lost more body fat than the group that ate the moderate to low-protein diet. They expected the muscle retention, but they were surprised at the amount of the additional fat loss in the higher-protein-consuming group. So for me, uh, I don't, you know, they didn't get into the research in like terms of sets and reps and how they were doing it. But if you're following a training program that's prioritizing moving heavy weights, you know, not just, you know, uh, peach building kickbacks and, you know, a bunch of other stupid shit, but legitimately something like you would follow within power athlete, whether it be Jack street, field, strong hammer, grindstone, Johnny wad, Johnny bod, whatever it looks like those protein or those programs are going to give you a big stimulus that are going to allow you to put on muscle, assuming that one, you are in caloric restriction, which we know even though you get online, they talk about all the cut manuals and this and this. The only way you know is to, is to own a scale and to weigh yourself. Well, then, what about the perform like my rep max numbers? Yeah. Well, that's why power athlete. I mean, that's why I really ditched percentages and went to something more rep max based, uh, like whether it be five sevens, threes, ones, whatever it looks like. Or when we did the shadow stuff, where now we were picking weights and percentages. Like, hey, you're gonna work up to a five RM. Here's your five. Now I want to see if you can add reps to it, similar to what I did on the Jack Street deal. Um, that was really interesting when all of a sudden, uh, I'm thinking in my head, man, I feel tired. I know, you know, you know, in your mind, it kind of, you know, tricks you a little bit. Cause you're like, I haven't been eating a ton and I know I'm in caloric restriction, but I'm eating 300 grams of protein a day, which makes me feel pretty good. Wake up first thing. And all of a sudden you get an, you know, you go to pull a weight off the ground and it comes flying up and you're like, shit, I think I got another one to the point where I think Nate was training with us at the time. Nate's fucking head exploded. He's like, dude, one, I've never seen you handle that much weight. How are you doing this? And I was like, dude, I was doing exactly what I said. The only difference for me personally, and I can't say this is universal for everybody, but I believe it to be true, building that big aerobic base, increased mitochondrial density, uh, you know, really just increased my uh, work capacity by allowing me to have a greater chance for recovery, allowed me to continually lift heavy weights. We were also real smart. Where, you know, if we were going to go in and do something, if I had a, a full day, if all of a sudden I got to a point in the workout where I was super gassed or I started to crash, that was good. And I just got out of there. So, um, so at that point, did you make any adjustments to 
the diet. So is it more carbs or no. is it just less training? No, I just started cutting. Um, like if I was tired, I tended to cut the training or I'd cut it into another place. I would just head home and then finish the rest of the workout later in the day as I was driving home. So I got to a point where like if it was a heavy back day, uh, after I pulled and we did all of our back accessory, if I had, if I needed to hit arms, I usually hit arms like something like Johnny Bob later in the day. But the real trick for me was the aerobic work. Um, the calories were low. Uh, the other one that I did is if everything was on track, this was another interesting one. If everything was on track and I lost the weight I needed to lose over the course of that week, which was about a pound, a little over a pound, if everything was working in the right direction, uh, I would get up on Saturday morning, go train, get all my work done. And then I would come back and I would eat all of my calories in like one or two meals. So let's say if I had a, you know, 3000 calories, I would have two 1500 calorie meals in a relatively short period of time. And, uh, would, you know, if I was eating, like, I remember I cut fat that day. So I would eat like chicken and I would get like pancakes and egg whites was, was like my two meals. And though, and I would treat those as cheat meals. Um, and it wasn't necessarily that I was blowing the calories out, but I was changing the composition of the food and I was still eating in a caloric deficit but I was just giving myself one or two big meals, which in my mind allowed me to do it a lot better. Opposed to eating a ton of little small meals, all I would do is I would work out and not necessarily fast, just reduce my feed window and feel fucking awesome crushing two big ass meals. But then I knew that, you know, obviously chicken or it was like, it was white fish and chicken, egg whites, and then I would eat a bunch of pancakes. Which for me was a home run. And what was wild is when I did that, I got up the next morning and was actually leaner than I was the day before, just in visual for the mirror. So, um, you know, you guys can go look it up. Fred Hatfield had this thing called the zigzag diet where you would zigzag calories. I didn't necessarily zigzag my calories, but I was zigzagging my macros where, but protein was always high for the most part. I was pretty balanced on the proteins and the carbs. But then all of a sudden when I got to the weekend, I was ditching the fat up in the carb. But then I remember we went out one night and I remember I had a huge ribeye and I knew I was going to eat a big steak. So I just didn't eat any carbs that day to try to figure out like, Hey, if I'm going to eat a 36 ounce ribeye, it's going to be, you know, 15, 1600 calories, all the fat. And I knew that I just didn't need, need any carbs that day. So, I mean, there was a way to calculate and game into it. We were also doing the program. And so for me, Callie and I were in the lean, you and Luke were in the, in, in the gain. And part of my motivation was seeing Luke stuff his face and get fatter every single day. That was awesome. To the point where he blew out his jeans and just started wearing sweatpants to work. Oh, yeah. It was awesome. I didn't get a chance to see you other than in pictures and obviously on the podcast. But, uh, you know, the there is, like, I, I think for a long time there was this kind of, like, boogeyman or the holy grail or whatever that like oh you can't build muscle in a caloric deficit while losing fat you know without a ton of drugs and i think the research and myself has shown that it is very possible the one key factor is you got to sustain that caloric deficit while eating a high protein diet you got to strength train and i don't mean just fucking in there you know doing safety bar or uh um uh what's the uh the squat on the on the fucking rails um Smith machine squats and fucking leg presses. You got to go in and bang heavy weights. You got to push it. You got to fight for it. So you got to do that strength training. You got to bang some heavy and do just, I'll reiterate it again. You got to rest. You got to build that aerobic base. And the last one I'll prioritize or I'll say it again. You got to prioritize protein 
and nutrient dense protein, protein shakes and pea protein and fucking broccoli, that type of shit is not going to do it. I'm talking about nutrient dense protein, which is going to look like turkey, chicken, fish, and red meat. Preferably I would eat red meat for every single meal, but I know I just can't based upon my calories and creatine and creatine. So, um, yeah, I mean, you always get any creatine and coffee. Coffee's always helpful. Coffee and creatine. sounds like a great t-shirt company <laughs> or uh, a good handle for Instagram, uh, coffee and creatine. So well, we should check and get that one before this one gets launched. So I think it's, it's very doable. But I think the limitation is going to be you as the individual to consistently eat the protein, consistently get the strength training in, do all the aerobic work that you need, and to be dialed by weighing yourself and dialing in the calories. Is there an end to this? Because yeah. we had 22 weeks. Yeah. So this question, what's realistic time frame for him to this goal? Because he can't lean forever. Uh, I think uh, 22 weeks is way too long. Um, and I think we, well, it was just a catchy title. 22 no, jump street came out at the same time. It was, uh, the day that it was theorized, we were looking for dates to end it. And my birthday was 22 weeks away. So we ended it on my birthday so we could all go out for my birthday, which was hilarious because nobody, uh, Luke and Callie didn't come out. Callie felt so bad. And I think Luke felt so disgusted that they didn't even come out to my birthday. So um, the problem is, and I, I think this is pretty interesting, at the end of 22 weeks, we had dieted so long that there was no reverse dieting. There was nothing like, hey, what does it look like the day after? We just, I just literally just fucking stopped everything and took time off, gained body fat back. And I always wished that at the end of that 22 weeks, I'd had a nutrition coach or somebody like Sam or whatever to get into the reverse dieting to kind of help me maintain that sub 10% and see how, you know, how much I could maintain for so long. So that was a fuck up on my part. But I also think it was because we fucking did it too long. I think somewhere around 12 weeks, maybe 14 at most is ideal. And then once you hit that and you hit your goal, then I think there's a little bit of reverse dieting where you kind of get back to normalcy. And then you can use these kind of different kind of, uh, I mean, I fucking hate the idea of bulking and leaning. It sounds so fucking IG, internet, clickbait bullshit. But I think there is a real deal, man. We know fat's extremely oxidative. We know that the people that carry more muscle in relation to body fat are more insulin sensitive and more metabolically flexible. So there is a benefit to carrying a lot of muscle in relation to body fat. So what we do know about metabolic flexibility, it doesn't matter how you get to that high amount of muscle and that low amount of body fat. It just matters that you're there to be metabolically flexible. We know people that are metabolically flexible are dramatically healthier than those that aren't. So whatever you have to do, whether it looks like bulking and leaning, I just think you should get to a point where you're pretty lean and then have a game plan to try to maintain that leanness even if you put a little on, but really just trying to keep that body composition maximized for as long as you can. It can be done. It can be done. You heard it here, folks. Or, yeah, you heard it here first, folks. All right. And what number, if they got questions or follow-up questions, do they want to WhatsApp, John? 929 Four six four four six four zero nine two nine ing ing zero. Reach out to us on the Hot Power at the Hotline. Text us a question. Let us know what you got, and if it's good, we will ask and we will answer. And once again, take creatine. You don't have to get real fancy with creatine. Just basic creatine monohydrate. You can get it from Thorn. You can get it from any other high quality source. 
Do not buy your supplements off of Amazon with some origin that's unknown from China. I like stuff that's made in the U.S. At least then I can chain or uh, chase back the chain of custody. Buy supplements from reputable people, and uh, I think Thorns is about as good as it comes. Yes. All right. Well, there you have it. Another episode of the premier podcast in strength and conditioning. Power of the radio. Bye. Bye. your performance. Head to powerathletehq.com backslash training to choose from a number of programs to meet your specific performance goals. And if you like to break a mental sweat too, visit academy.powerathletehq.com and become a real stakeholder in you or your athlete's success. Until next time, bye!